HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes, if you in fact like it. And please reach out if you have any questions for me. You can always reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. Today is episode 34 of Feast Your Ears, and I am in the studio here in the pouring rain uh, behind Roberta's in Bushwick. And uh, with me today are Jesse and Kirk Sullivan, who are the owners and operators of Sullivan Seafood. They provide the freshest scallops direct from the boat in New Jersey to stores and restaurants here in New York City. We have them at the Brooklyn Kitchen, and Jesse and Kirk can tell us other places that, that have their fine product. Um, after working for almost 20 years on boats catching scallops, they decided last year to start selling them instead of catching them. And and as a way to both deliver sort of the best product that they were seeing coming off the boats to the consumer, but also to make sure that the fishermen catching that product were getting top dollar um, out of it. So thank you, gentlemen, for yeah, joining yeah, me. Thank Absolutely. you. That was perfect introduction. That's exactly <laughs> what we're doing. Um, so since this is radio, um, it is important, I think, to, to mention that you guys are twins. Uh, yeah, nobody can identical. see that. They're, uh, Jesse and Kirk are identical twins, except Kirk has longer hair. Purposely. For purposely. So in business, people would know that you were right. Kirk. Well, I like it in that it's easier to tell us apart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not wearing the same outfit either that, you know. Yeah, that was, that was when we were younger. Yeah, right. <laughs> that faced out really fast. Um, and, uh, you know, can you guys introduce yourselves? And, you know, when someone asks you what you do, um, what do you, you know, how do you describe what you do? 
You can go first, Kurt. So I just tell them for their... For me personally, for the last six years, I've been, I tell them I'm a commercial fisherman on a scallop boat and just tell them kind of that what I'm doing is working on, on deck on a fishing vessel and just mainly catching scallops because we, we don't really um, fish for anything else other than that, just exclusively scallops. So that's pretty much, it's pretty much just a simple description of that. Just kind of, they usually, there's a lot of questions that they'll ask after that because it's sure. pretty unique, but. Just yeah, we certainly speaking. don't live in a world where you meet a lot of commercial fishermen. Right. Yeah, especially right. in New York City. Yeah, yeah. in New York. I, I haven't met another, like, commercial fisherman as well uh, here in the city yet, and I've been here for, you know, three and a half years. So it's been it's been kind of like, you know, a lot of people ask of it just because it is, it is, like, you know, unique. Yeah, I'll, ha- I'll have to introduce you, uh, both of you, actually, to my friend Christopher. Um, he's a salmon fisherman. Oh, awesome. So yeah. he is also a winemaker. He lives in Brooklyn. I actually interviewed him on this show oh, uh, I like last it. I like year. Him already. <laughs> he's a, he works. He's a winemaker at the Red Hook Winery during the winter, and then in the summer he moves to Bristol Bay in Alaska and as a salmon, salmon fisherman. Awesome. awesome. That's yeah. super cool. Yeah, that's a good part about being a fisherman. You do, you know, it's seasonal, so you get a, get a bit of time off to pursue other hobbies and do other things like that that you like right right and and what is this what is the scallop season at least in the in the uh, it's, it's from march to usually around like october november depending on like how cold it gets if it gets really cold then it'll be earlier than later in the year mm-hmm. if it's warmer than usually because in the winter time what will happen is the mass of the scallop will shrink and they'll go into like they're more dormant not dormant but uh they're spawning at that time so it's it's less you don't and you don't get as much good weather because the winter time is right. like super bad on and the, the ocean fishing must be much harder much it's more dangerous. much harder much dangerous you don't get as long as shots to go out you know we're we're dealing with just a day boat but like the trip fishing you know you want at least like five days to be able to go out where in the winter time you'll get like three right. or two or three and then it's just it's more a pain in the butt to go out but um, yeah, so that's like the season. It's basically from like March 1st is when all the the permits of the boats relapse. And then everybody goes fishing from March till October, November. Yeah. Is the permitting different in different states along the East Coast or is it sort of generally the same? It's pretty much general. It's it's actually generally the same. There's different kind of kinds of license that are categorized. But um, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're in New Jersey and you have a full-time permit. If you're in Massachusetts and you have a full-time permit, it's all the same. Yeah, yeah, they're all federal permits. Got so it. you can fish federal. all along the East Coast. But there's only a limited amount of them. So there's 350. 50? 50 full-time okay so and then that's it they don't make any more there's no less and that's so it's like a taxi medallion exactly right, to right. compare it to the city yeah and so that's how they uh the government did it and they're doing a really good job with it it's like honestly i've been fishing for 13 for 13 years and out of all the difference that i've been doing all the different fisheries just like scalp is like by far the most sustainable that i've ever been in it's you know where they shut down areas along the east coast in three years four years after they shut it down you can go back into that same area and it's like packed full Mm. with scallops we've actually seen it kirk seen it in his career too that they shut down the government has one two three four six or seven areas that are long from new jersey all the way up to close to like the main coastline and off of uh, nantucket and like the great georgia's banks and um they're doing a really good job with closing them down when they need to and then open them back up to show that the scallops are like sustainable they're actually like respawning and they come back healthy they're super good looking scallops yeah that's great i mean yeah the uh you know scallops one of the reasons that we 
chose to, to sell scallops uh, at the Brooklyn Kitchen in our fish program is because it is a well-managed fishery. Um, you know, the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch, which I think a lot of people look to as sort of a guide right. for which fish are good to eat and which aren't, they list East Coast scallops as their sort of what they call a good alternative, right. which is sort of their, their, you know, it's they're not in a void, but they, and they say there are some issues with bycatch, but, you know, so I'm, I'm curious to know sort of what you see as the issues that might be related to scallop fishing, because it sounds like the management of the fishery is great. Yeah. So we're not decimating the fish like we are, say, tuna, where right. tuna, yes. tuna by and large are getting smaller and smaller and smaller than, you know, over yeah, the past 50 shame. years. And they're, you know, the chance of recovery, I read an article recently that the chance of the tuna stock ever recovering to what it was 50 years ago is, you know, 0.001 right. so, or something. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a shame because it's, yeah, with the fish, that's the whole thing with the sustainability of it. It's, it takes so much longer for fish to come back than it does for like for scallops and um yeah and you got tons of fishing and you know united states is the most regulated coastline in the world i mean we regulate like crazy over here for all the rules and all the licensing but as soon as you step off the united states it's like you know they have rules but to enforce them is not so so like the tuna and all this stuff that is super good fish it's like almost too good for itself right because the meat's beautiful it's it's or the shame. marketing has become too good for it. Right? Right, I mean, that's. Yeah. A, I feel like that's a lot of what happened with the with the big eye tuna, with the bluefin tuna. That you know, the marketing of it as a fish and the marketing of fish as a healthy alternative to meat. I mean, even starting back, you know, there's a. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a there's a poster. I'll try and put it up on the show page. But there's a, a poster from the WPA era that was you know sort of World War Two pre World War Two era saying you know save the I forget what the exact wording was but it was basically a picture of fish and it was saying you let's you know save the the resources on land eat fish right, because they right. feed, because they feed themselves <laughs> right yeah. that was sort of like the reasoning and even starting that long ago 70 years ago with the marketing of like eat more fish because it's healthy because it's free right yeah, that's right. sort of like the idea is you could just go out on a boat you didn't have to pay it. for the land or the feed right. or <laughs> veterinarian bills, any of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Now, some of the major, I think going back to your question that you asked, some of the major concerns maybe about scalloping. I mean, there's not really, they, like Jesse was saying, they regulate it very well in the areas that they, that they allow us to fish in. And the bycatch, honestly, the one, the one thing that they worried about and they've made a regulation within the last, what, 10 years is to make sure that the equipment that we use is not harvesting or not catching, like, the turtles on the bottom of the ocean huh. because they're endangered. So they we they specifically designed a, a dredge system is which what we, we do is we dredge for scalps and we catch them that way. And so this dredge system is now designed so that they don't the turtles don't catch and they, they don't get caught in a dredge right so that was the major concern that, that we've seen with bycatch and fish you do catch with any fishing you're going to have a little bycatch that you, you're going to catch you know you're going to get but with scalloping the dredge system it's pretty good these days and they've it's come a long ways from just a big steel thing that's dragging picking up everything right. it filters out it filters out almost all the seed that you get hmm. so the the smaller catch that that we're um, we're wanting to keep stay there, stay in the bed, stay replenished is all pretty much filtering out. I mean, you catch a tiny bit of it, but it all goes back over the deck, and right. you, you shovel it off. And you do get you do get a few fish, but usually they're they're still alive. You can throw them back, and they're and they swim off, and they they're good. So, um, and a, a lot of the bycatch we're allowed to keep, like monkfish, were were uh, permitted to keep. You know, I, think I mean, monkfish is actually another. I mean, that's another 
good choice, right? right? According to Monterey Bay, I mean, mm-hmm. that's another. That's a fish that the stocks are healthy. The fish grow fast. It's yeah, yeah. We've seen it. We've seen it where I mean, every every bed or like that we clean out, there won't be monkfish, and then we go back to it, and then yeah, there'll be monkfish back there. So it's like it's yeah, monkfish looks like it's really good. So let, let's actually, I, I would love to to talk a little bit about scallops as sure. a okay. as an animal. Um, I think that a lot of people don't understand that you know when you get that beautiful white round cylinder on your plate that that's not it's just a piece of a much larger right 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 um the simplest way i explain it is like the shell station is like the shell of a scallop and that's the easiest way but yeah they're filter feeders they stack on beds they like high flowing water so they can get it's cold water too they're usually at um sea scallops which they're colder water. They don't like like bay scallops or obviously sure. warmer water. But uh, and sea scallops are what you guys are is, what you guys right. are, are selling. And, and just so everybody knows, a sea scallop. If you don't know the difference, a bay scallop is small. A bay scallop right. is like smaller in diameter than a dime, and a sea scallop is like a quarter to fifty cent piece right. sort of size. Right. Yep. Here. They can get where they're less than ten of them are a pound. So mm. that kind oh, of wow, that's big. Yeah, yeah they, they get, get big. Pretty big. And um, yeah, so like I said, they're filter feeders and. High flowing water, usually like uh, valleys of the ocean, where they're on like a slanted kind of hill, and that way they do they migrate at all, or are they just like settle in a really don't. place. They they, they I think um, we were so research biologists will come on the boat and they'll give us a lot of the information that we find out because of the studies they do, and they say that they only move a couple miles in their whole entire lifetime. Mm. But they can move, unlike an oyster, which right, is attached, sure. or a muscle, which is attached. It's really, it's, it's actually, we've seen them move, and it's super interesting how they move. They like It's like the clap of the scalp is what they call it. Mm. And, um, yeah, sometimes uh, we noticed in, like, really big storms on the East Coast, like a really big northeastern, um, they'll move around the bed somewhat. Right. You know, the tides of the ocean will kind of mess with them, but... They're mainly a stationary, you know, they don't really move much, and you, you have to get high, fast, flowing water there and a bunch of nutrients, It's they'll, they'll stay put. And how, how old is an average scallop that we would eat? The ones we're allowed to are three to four years old. Okay. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying, like three to four years, and the whole area can come back right. and replenish itself, and, you know, it's it's actually, like, that's it's super sustainable, where yeah. a fish is seven right. plus, clam is seven yep. plus years, you yep. know. Um, yeah, so three to four years. And the areas like that are off in New Jersey now that the product that we're actually getting was one of the areas that they closed down five years. And it came back and was, you know, totally in my whole career, <laughs> like the best looking. I'm, you know, they looked healthy. They were super white. They didn't, they didn't come back where they weren't getting enough nutrients. And it was like, oh, my, you know, they're actually... Like this is working really well. Right. So on the on the boat, um, you know, when the scallops come up in the dredge, what then has to happen to them to get them to market? Okay, so you get them on a dredge, and then you basically, I mean, the whole process of it is you you dredge for them on the bottom of the ocean. The boat, you haul them up to the top, and then you dump you dump the whole entire catch on the deck, and then you sort them out. You make sure all the small ones go back into the ocean, and you get the right size ones. Um, you can either if it's really clean and really nice, you can shovel them. If it's if there's a lot of if there's a lot of sand, a lot of sand dollars, um, you can, you got to pick them with your hands, and then you put them in bushel baskets, and then from there you you go to your station to where you'll you'll shuck them. You you go to your station, you shuck them. You get the adductor muscle, the white good adductor muscle you were talking about, and you make sure that you wash it really good with with um, salt water that we get from the boat. We pump directly right out of the ocean, right into the 
that we wash with um, on the scallops on there, and then then you put them in cheesecloth bags and put them right on ice. And so from there, the boat does its whole entire trip. You go out and you get your quota. Then you come back to the dock, and what the difference between our product is is we actually get it straight from the boat. We go we go down, talk to the fishermen we've known for years and trust, and know that their processes and their their ability to distinguish between good and bad helps us to give better product to our customer. Um, and so we uh, sell in the seafood. We'll just sell it directly to, to to you guys to make sure you guys get the good product. But usually, what happens within the fleet, like what he was talking about, the 350 boats, is they'll they'll sell it to a dock, and then the dock will maybe sort through the product or you know refrigerate it or freeze it. And then from there, they'll take it all the way up to the markets, whether it's New Bedford, New Fulton, um, you know, Philadelphia, the markets around the East Coast. I mean, they're all in the big cities. And and then the markets will basically auction off, you know, the products that they get from the boats. And then there, those products will be sold to distributors. And then sometimes those distributors will have secondary distributors that they'll sell to. And then then finally the kitchen or the restaurant will get it. So that's kind of the difference of our process but that's generally how you do it you know it's down the line of from the dock to the markets and right and, and each of those points is a point where scallops from other places or other unknowns can enter the supply exactly. stream, right so i mean if, if all those boats are coming in and you've chosen to work with a specific couple of boats people you know and trust out of all the you know i don't know 80 boats that might come in and sell to the dock maybe there's 10 that are really reputable and 10 that are okay right. and some that are some okay some days and not others right and so you really don't know what you're getting when you're right. buying from that other supply and stream and the thing that um, we we wanted to totally stray away from is they'll put um, sodium triphosphate in them, which is a you it's said a it right. it's a so, it's a salt preservative. So this what it does is it basically adds water weight to the scallop, mm. and if you look preserves it a little yeah bit it too. preserves it it makes it last a little longer whether it went in refrigeration. But if you look at natural scallops when you shuck them when you go out there they're never they're they're white. A lot of them can be like really good colored white, but uh, naturally some of them are cream, some of them are little little yellow, little like they have different colors to them. So what they'll do is they they use this sodium solution to make them all white, hmm. all thicker, all better. So that way, you know they all they're adding is basically water. So right, it's easy and that's to what they're selling you. They're selling you weight, weight. Yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's one thing we definitely we definitely distinguish to do different. We sell ours dry. We make sure there's no they're 100 percent natural. They're dried out so that way they sear really well. You know, it's a good quality for home or for a restaurant or for a kitchen just to basically know that they're they're not going to have a pan full of water after they put a couple in. You know? And the pro- I mean, the product I can I can say you know from using them, uh, you know that the the product is incredible. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make an offer. I have no idea how many people listening to this show uh, will take me up on this, but anyone who comes into the Brooklyn Kitchen and says that they heard this episode about Sullivan Seafood, I will give you one of their scallops for free oh, to try. Right. It. <laughs> there you go. So come in, take them up on it. Tell us that you uh, tell us that you heard uh, that you heard this show, and I will give you one. Your your first one's free, right? That's how drug dealing works. So. <laughs> Um, We're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors. And uh, when we come back, um, I would love to hear from you guys about how you ended up in the scallop fishing business when you started out in Missouri. Not a lot of of scallops there. (laughs) (laughs) And this one is Torchlight by Rectech. We'll be right back.
Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, and I've been speaking today with the founders of Sullivan Seafood, Jesse and Kirk Sullivan. Um, check out their website at sullivanseafood.com, and you can learn a little bit more about the fantastic scallops that they uh, bring into New York City from New Jersey. And if you are a consumer and you want to buy them, come down to the Brooklyn Kitchen. Uh, and if you are a restaurant uh, or a chef, get in touch because they can bring you some great product every week. Uh, where else are your scallops available? Um, so we've got a few restaurants in Manhattan and Brooklyn also that we do with, uh, you know, Hudson Clearwater is one of them that, you know, these guys, Mark and Peter, we work with and they're really good guys and we started out. And uh, Lucy Rouge, it's mm -hmm. on South 6th. Yep. And, I mean, a couple more. You know, Aqua Santa. Aqua Santa, that's Mario. on. Mario. North 6th. Uh, and North 6th and Driggs. Driggs, that's right. Yeah, I mean, we got we just have a few customers that are, you know, working with us uh, weekly that we give we give a, a good weekly supply to. You know, we're getting it in. We're using day quota, so we're getting it in, like, say, several times a week, sometimes, you know, three or four times a week. So we're always having fresh products. So that's how we just, we're just dealing it out to them. But... Um, other than that, I mean, in the Brooklyn kitchen, in the Brooklyn, Brooklyn, kitchen. Brooklyn, kitchen. Brooklyn kitchen. Yeah. So, uh, so Bolivar, Missouri, that's where you, where yeah, you guys Bol grew up? Bolivar. Bolivar. It's like All the right. Spanish. Um, yeah. We where in Missouri, Missouri, where in Missouri is that? It's actually kind of like right dead in the middle. It's in between St. Louis and Kansas city and yeah, more so north, north of, of Springfield. North of Springfield, Missouri. Okay. Yeah. yeah 60 miles or 30 miles north of Springfield, which is on the far west side of Missouri. It's almost to the kansas borderline right so so how did how did you you know where where did the scallop fishing come in come into play if so you started out in missouri we had a our best friend from like growing up actually moved from new jersey to bolivar missouri randomly we were in the middle of nowhere in the country both of our parents like bought 160 acres of land it's really yeah country-based and um, he ended up moving next door to us. It was crazy. And then his uncle was fishing in New Jersey. And one summer I was um, in college and I was burnt out because I was doing athletics in school and I had to make good GPA plus all of the, I was in track and field and it was every, it was indoor and outdoor. So I got kind of burnt out and he said, Hey, do you want to come up for a summer and do some fishing and you can make good money and go back to school and have some money? Cause I was tired of being broke in school, working at the library and I went up there and I started conking and it's like the snail conks. Yep. 
and it was like one of the best years that they have had. And I made a ton of money in Jersey Shore. I was 21 years old, and I was, you know, it's fun time down there during the summer. It's, you know, a lot of people on the beach and everything, and I, I didn't go. I, I stayed there. Then it was, you know, <laughs> was thir- you know, and then 13 seasons later, it was, you know, going for. I did conking and sea bass and lobster and clamming oyster and scalloping so i've been i've done a few of the fisheries that were all down there and uh stuck with scalloping because it was the most sustainable i knew it wasn't like a trap fishing where you trap you know like any kind of sea bass or conks were all trapped and you could go through a whole day sometimes and make really good money or you could go through a whole day of the same amount of work and make nothing so scalping was more sustainable and stayed into it and we were young and uh an owner of uh one of the boats that had a full-time permit offered my best friend and i a chance to run it and we had no idea what we were doing but we took it up and ended up being like a really good in career option because it was uh you know it was really good money for the time and we were young and decided to be fishermen yeah so so did you take over that permit and that boat um, yeah, we ended up doing it and building. We That was, you know, almost 11 years ago now. And, yeah, it was uh, one permit at the time. And then the owner built up two or three more permits. Mm-hmm. And then my best friend bought boats, and he has two permits. And, you know, so, yeah, we, it was like a whole, like, building process of it, yeah. And is that is that the main source for the scallops now, is from him? We we deal with um, him, and we deal with uh, our the day quota down in mm-hmm. day quotas. We deal with because it comes in and out every day during the summer. Right now, we can get every day. There's a 600 pound quota that they can get. That way, it keeps it super fresh to be able to sustain the orders. And that's that we get a day quota is just they leave in the morning, they come back at night. They're allowed to catch 600 pounds, whereas the other permit has to do with going out many days the, at a time. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a full time. It's called trip fishing, is what we call it, and it's you know you can do open bottom which is not in the closed areas of the government you can do 11 you know they got 30 days sometimes the boats will go out for like 11 days at a time you know it's a long trip on the boat um where you have the day quota it's they're doing 18 hour trips right now so it's you know it's in and out of the same day they get to come back in keep super fresh product for everybody that we can give it to and it's consistent you know because you got to stay consistent in new york right yeah kirk did you follow jesse i did i did um so yeah, so the funny thing is though is he went up when he was 21 and had this amazing conch season, and I was the same thing. I was in I was in college and I was kind of burned out because you know being broke makes you burn out real quick. Whatever you're doing, and and I see my twin brother just raking in money, and I'm broke here struggling. So the funny thing is is I went up there. And I, and I tried a conch season with them, but my luck, I, it, I struck out. It was the worst season. It was the worst season in like 10 years. So it was, I didn't make, I was making like $3 an hour working every day for like 17 hours, but it just didn't work out. And, and I actually, I actually ended up going back, um, going back to school and, and, and pursuing that for a while and, and, and doing, working in Missouri went back to the hometown while he was up in, well, he's up in New Jersey, but, um, and then it just kind of like after the after the years went by, they had built this like he was saying they had built this business with this owner who had one permit and then he had two, so there was a lot of lot of you know ability to make some money. So I just eventually said I I had a business down in Missouri where I was like a, a IT consultant where I was selling or like selling a service to help small businesses build their infrastructure for networking and stuff and. Finally, I just said, well, you know, it's, I want a more adventurous job. I got a perfect outlet. 
you know, they're, they're finally making money. I know I'm not going to go strike out and make $3 an hour this time. So yeah, I just kind of followed suit and it's not a, you know, it was a pretty good option. I mean, I'm going to work with my best friend and my twin brother, you know, it's hard work and it's crazy out there, but I can't complain. It was, that's pretty much how it it's an adventure. It's it a, is. It's a good, that's a, that's a good story. And you're working on a documentary now about, the, yeah. about the boats, right? Right. We we're working on a documentary and to, to bring more awareness to people of, of actually what happens there. I mean, everybody knows about the deadliest catch and about crabbing and everything that goes along with that. But when you look at a lot of the East Coast fisheries, I mean, there's big tuna. People like to fish in shows. But with scalping, there's not much info. And, and we just want to build content for people to know exactly where we're coming from and what we're doing and how we're getting the product we're getting and how everything works with you know our fishing industry so we're working on that um we're making sure we're getting we're building content every week it's just with documentaries they take a little bit so we're making sure we're going to get a good one done so i mean i think it's great it's it's important to recognize that those 350 permits represent an industry right each one of those boats is a small business has multiple employees and it's not something i mean we're not that far away Right. right. I mean, no, there's, close. you know, between New Jersey, between Long Island, between Rhode Island, Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, even up to Maine. Right. The, you know, fishing is a big industry in the Northeast that we're sort of, you know, in, in New York City, I don't feel like people are necessarily aware no. that it's there. And what we hear about is we hear about tuna. We hear about things like the deadliest catch because it's a popular television right. show and sure. that's in Alaska. You know, we hear about Gulf shrimp. Mm-hmm. And we hear about, you know, when there's an oil spill and that being decimated and sort of all the, those issues. But, you know, if, we're, if what we're talking about with scallop is a sustainable, good fishery where the people are making a living. Right. It's right. Not, it doesn't make a great news story. Right. I mean, it's important information and it's good that we all know it, but it's not exciting. Sure, right. They're right. not going to write a front page article about, oh, look, these guys work really hard. And they have a decent life, right? right? That's not exciting right. to report. Yeah, and that's what everybody asks is like deadliest catch and all that jazz with the drama on the boat. They're like, is there much drama on the boat? It's like, no, if there's drama on the boat, there's not work getting done. Right. So it's sure. super fluid on there. It's it's boring, yeah, but I mean, it's that's it. There's just no drama. It's kind of not yeah. an interesting yeah, story. Yeah, the, the, the rule is, honestly, on the ocean, if you have people causing drama, you don't work with them. No, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's too, yeah, too dangerous and it costs everybody money. I mean, exactly. I, I, one thing that I want to, you know, that I want people to, to remember and understand, too, you know, is that scallops, they are, they are a premium product, right? right? right. They, yes. They're not, they're not inexpensive. They're also delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but that when you look at what that price is, it's important to recognize that every single one of those was touched by at least one person, if not more, who had a hand in making sure that that product was exactly what you want it to be. Right. 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 Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not like buying um, a mechanized crop where it gets sucked up out of the ground or, or a fishing trawler, right? Like a big freezer boat, you know, they're just sucking the fish up out of the ocean. I mean, I, I watch my, my son, Frank, who's almost three is obsessed with fish, obsessed with fishing. And Uh he wanted to watch YouTube videos about fishing. And so we were watching this giant freezer trawler that's just out there. And it it was amazing. It went through the whole thing and how there's these automatic, you know, automatic skinning machines, filleting machines that then they pack it, they freeze it in blocks. It gets put into a thing. And then the block of ice, you know, frozen fish slides into the hold and the guy is stacking it all up perfectly like cement blocks. And then they take the bones and they're making it into fish meal. I mean, like every single piece gets used, but nobody actually, there's no human 
piece of it. Right. That's like the opposite. The government stepped in and they have shucking machines and uh, they don't allow them. They don't. They, they, yeah. The process that they want is how it is now. Where that's why you have so many people on the boats because you have to shuck them. You have to put them down the fish hole. There's no conveyor belt system that makes it easier for it. That way, they keep jobs in the industry. Otherwise, yep. if we had the shucking machines and you're losing eighty percent of the employees, you know, you're having the captain, the first mate, and a couple employees actually watching machines. But and machines don't stop. That's the problem with the fishing industry. Humans get tired. We get tired. We slow down. We're not able to, like, super, it's like, kill everything, you know, where if you have machines, they're 24 hours a day. They don't care. They don't, you just fix them, and then they go back to work where, you know, we're tired. We slow down. So it's, it's actually, I like it, how they did it with the industry. Even though it is, it's super hard physical labor. You know, you're you're putting, you know, a usual shift on the boat is 16 hours plus, and then you're only getting eight hours of sleep, but... If you're on a trip boat, you know, it's 11 days. I mean, you're doing right. 160 plus hours of work for right. less than two weeks. So it's a lot of work, but, yeah. you know, and, um, yeah. And, and when we are talking about disasters, I wanted to, like, let everybody know, like, scalloping on the East Coast is super important now because what happened with the tsunami in Japan with Fukushima, did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Um, it shut down their industry over there because they had a really big farming industry that was going on over there and it was like sustainable. They figured out how to reproduce them and, and keep it and farm it really well. And then as soon as the, the tsunami happened, it was like, okay, now all the focus is on the East coast. And then not, we already stepped in and had the government regulating it. And it's like a huge deal for the East coast to have that regulated and then be sustainable and everything. It's, re- it's actually really good for the East coast because yeah. it brings in how much money does I mean, they estimated the, that he's the numbers. They guy. brought in four hundred fifty-eight million dollars worth of product just to New Bedford. Wow! Last year, so I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going around the world, and eighty-five percent of it. I mean, the the northeastern scallop fleet is basically eighty-five percent of it's getting exported to feed the rest of the world, but you know, fifteen percent of it stays here in the United States to make sure that you know scallops get distributed here, but. It's it's a big industry that's feeding a lot a lot of people all around the world. So it's it's a very important. I mean, it's the poster child fishing industry right. of the United States. Pretty yeah, much. Right. I mean, it's it's got the most sustainability into it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's mainly because of the way they regulate the grounds and also that it's it three to four year you know maturity time that we can harvest it, which helps out a lot. To, yeah, and 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 the good and the East Coast waters are perfect for it because. You got you got a good flat bed that goes off to a canyon that makes sure that all the nutrients get pushed up and scalps love it. So it's it's a really really good clean area for them to to reproduce and and be out here. Well, we're uh, we're pretty much out of time, but thank you, Jesse. This was great for, oh, man. for coming thank on the you. show. Thank you for um, having us. And I definitely I encourage everybody to check out SullivanSeafood dot com. And uh, you know, when the documentary comes out, can't wait to uh, absolutely can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Big thank you to Kristen Baylor, my producer here at Feast Your Ears, and David Tatashore for engineering. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at HeritageRadioNetwork.org and on iTunes. And you can follow me on Instagram at the Foodball. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.